Hello and welcome to Queers & Co, the podcast all about self-empowerment, body liberation and activism for queer folks and allies. I'm very excited to welcome you to the first episode. Thank you so much for listening. My guest is someone whose work I've followed and loved since I found out about her in 2016. She's a psychotherapist and cultural worker based in East London, as well as the author of books like Fat Activism, A Radical Social Movement, and the newly revised ebook, The Fat Activist Vernacular. I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Charlotte Cooper. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, hi. What a pleasure it is to be here. It's so nice to have you. Thanks for agreeing to do it. That's, oh, my absolute pleasure. <laughs> so um, I've got lists of questions. I don't want to bombard you, but um, it would be really cool if we can start off just with um, hearing a bit more about your work, maybe, and then we'll chat about the fat activist vernacular that's coming out soon. Yeah, sure. So, um, well, oh, how to, de- how to describe my work? I have fingers in a few pies. Mm. Um, my main uh, work is I work as a psychotherapist and I specialise in working with people who are sort of on the edges in some way. So I uh, work with lots of queers and trans people, um, neurodivergent people, sex workers, um, but and also the occasional normal comes along and I don't turn <laughs> them away. Uh, but that's my kind of, my, my, I guess that's my day job, but it is a vocation as well. It's, it's mm. you know, really important to me and I, and I really love the work. Um, but I also have been making stuff for a long time. Uh, so I call myself a cultural worker because I think that making stuff is a, a political act. And um, I guess I started off making, well, performances when I was um, in my teens and 20s. And I have been making zines for a long time as well, probably for about 30 years, because I'm getting on a bit now. (laughs) And um, uh, sort of lately I've been doing, I guess I've been returning more to performance and um, sort of exploring making different kinds of things as well. So um, a lot of my work is about fat and I've been doing that for again about about three decades or so so I started off I guess with my own body and my own life and thinking about what it was to have grown up fat but this turned into scholarship quite quickly I did a master's degree and the product of that was a a, a book I published a book called Fat and Proud in 1998 and then I got a bit burnt out but then I got more involved in uh, fat activism in the States through a zine called Fat Girl in 1994, which was this really fantastic um, fat queer uh, publication that came out of San Francisco. Um, I also started going to No Lose, which is a, a kind of um, a conference that takes place in the States every now and again, became um, part of that community. And then, um, as well, kind of luck would have it, uh, sort of happenstance, I met um, some people who knew of my work and they said that they had some funding available for a doctorate and would, was I interested in that? So I applied for that and I got it and, um, and went and did a, a PhD for a few years in, in Limerick in Ireland. And, uh, and the product of that um, project was um, the book Fat Activism, A Radical Social Movement. So although I'm interested in queer performance and queer publishing and DIY, zine making, I'm also really, really interested in fat and what that means and fat as a cultural experience too. So, I mean, that's rather a wordy answer to a simple question, what do you do? Uh, but yeah, those, I guess, are the main things that I do. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. It's really useful to hear kind of the background as well, because um, 
there may be people listening to this who haven't come across your work before. No, and in fact, I'm really obscure. And uh, even though I've done a lot, people don't know about, uh, much about me. And I guess one of the things that strikes me very much about the world of fat, and I guess people call it body positivity now, but it has lots of names and lots of genealogies too. So uh, younger people won't have heard of older people like me, but I wasn't the first. There are people who came before me as well, and I'm interested in creating more intergenerational uh, discussions about what it is to be fat. Yeah, and I really love how you reference at the beginning of the fat activist vernacular, the people who came before you. Um, is something well, that's often forgotten in activist movements, yes, isn't it? that's right. Everybody thinks they're the first, mm. but, um, but they're not. They're not the first. In fact, there's a <laughs> An entry in in um in the vernacular for um the Rebel Wilson effectin, mm, I, I saw it, that, which is about that um that feeling that you know you're always the first to discover something, but mm, sorry, mate, you know you're not the first. <laughs> there are many many people who came before us. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe if we start with that first, actually talking about the vernacular, and I guess for me it feels as though it's part of that having conversations with younger generations, actually showing the um, the history of the words that are used and how they've developed over time. Because even, I mean, I'm 32, uh, no, I'm 33, I lie. So in some of my, um, in some of the words, like I recognise pretty much, I'd say like 80% of them, but there were a few references that I wasn't aware of. And so that just having that kind of continuing conversation between different generations is something that's so helpful about having a vernacular available to actually um, continue those words and, and tell future people what they actually meant. Oh, well, that's great to hear. I'm really excited to hear that there were bits that weren't familiar. I mean, there will be bits in it that aren't familiar because I just made some of them up. I mean, <laughs> I think of it as a glossary of terms that are familiar to, to many activists, possibly of my generation. And also it's got this kind of queer um, feminist sensibility to it yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, some of them I just made up and they're just the product of my, um, my imagination, really. So <laughs> you won't have heard of them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important to, to try and instill an idea in people that there were others who came before and, and not that the others who came before were stupid. <laughs> you know, these are sophisticated <laughs> thinkers and activists yeah. who, who were organized. And I guess one of the problems is these histories get forgotten very easily and they're very mm. ephemeral. So Another part of my practice that I think um, that I guess I've come to as I've got older is thinking about archiving mm. and how to transmit and preserve uh, these stories. And I think the vernacular is, I guess, a, a part of that. I mean, it's yeah, it's thinking about language and how language shapes your understanding of things. It's also very irreverent. So it's t it's kind of taking the mickey out of, um, you know, official language and the mm. official view of what it is to be fat. Um, and I think that kind of irreverency and um, I guess it's, I'm interested in slang as well. So it's it's kind of about other ways of seeing uh, um, and, and not the kind of the mainstream way. And I think fat people are really good. Uh, I think it's a survival tactic, actually. I think fat people are really good at looking at things. And I, and I hope that's what the vernacular does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess now's a good time to let people know how they can get hold of it. So um, I know that you published it as a zine a while back, and I'm guessing that you had quite a few requests from people to make it available again. Wow, um, you get right. That's <laughs> yeah, I thought so from yeah. hearing you <laughs> talk about it before. Yes, yes. <laughs> so it was a zine, uh, a paper thing, um, mm. and, and I sold out of that. And my practice with zines is usually I don't really do reprints. 
so once it's it's gone, it's gone. Mm. Um, but also when I thought about it, there were so many entries that I wanted to include that that I didn't. So this current version, and there may be more in the future, I'm not sure, but this current version has over 600 entries in it. It's quite, you know, it's quite a whopper. Um, and you can get it directly from me from my website, which is charlottecooper.net. Um, and I also work with the Live Art Development um, Agency, and they have a bookshop, which is thisisunbound.co.uk. You can get it from there. And if you buy it from them, then a portion of the the money goes towards um, live art in the UK, or you can get it from all the usual um, ebook uh, retailers online. Amazing. Thank you. Doing my job for me. <laughs> um, and so I guess it would be useful to actually look at a couple of the entries. So I've written down a few because yeah there are loads I highlighted okay. and bookmarked yes. all the pages <laughs> um but I'm just gonna pick out a couple that feel really relevant to um the kind of things that we have discussed in the zine mm -hmm. in the past mm. and um one of the first ones actually was um ally mm. and I just want to read it out and then it would be great to hear a bit more about that because um okay uh, it's because it's such a cynical entry but anyway yeah, go ahead, Jen, go yeah ahead. but it's so yeah it's a great way of thinking about it though mm -hmm. so um it starts someone who's supposed to stand by you and help often someone who exploits and betrays you uses you to prop up their privilege doesn't understand and doesn't help maybe this model for people in social justice is not that great sorry well I guess it's that that entry was born out of a lot of um I don't know a lot of disappointment really yeah. and around that I don't know it's such a complex um subject people have so many different feelings about it there's a lot of pressure um not only to I don't know it's not just a pressure to be thin or normative it's also a pressure to be a really good fatty as well mm, yeah. and um and I do think that um I don't know finding supporters around that or really people that you can really um really rely on is is quite dif difficult because it's quite a confusing thing to talk about for a lot of people too so there are inevitably disappointments uh, around it so yeah it's rather a cynical and uh, and disappointed entry but you know maybe there could be other models as well um, yeah, and one well one of the things that I tried to do um oh god it's a while back now so I had a project called the Chubsters which was a, a fictitious girl gang which was also kind of real as well and the idea with the Chubsters was that anybody could be a Chubster but it was <laughs> a, a girl gang for for fat queer you know badly behaved women but you didn't have to be fat or queer remotely badly behaved or a woman to be a chubster and if you just wanted to be a chubster you could be one so and you'd get a little badge and a and a membership card um just by you know writing me an email or asking to, to asking to join and sometimes we had workshops where people um would would join on mass and sometimes we had little events as well and the idea of that was that it wasn't an exclusionary space Mm. For me, that was a much more productive way of thinking about fat and including people rather than this idea that, that there's a line between a fat person and an ally. But I know I'm out of step with most people because, you know, the concept of ally is, you know, super mainstream and popular. And that's how people think about activism at the moment. Yeah, but it doesn't mean to say that there aren't be like better ways or, or um, more useful or other, ways of doing yes, it. So. There, could, there could be other ways. You're right. Yeah, I really like the sound of the Chubsters. I'd like to join <laughs> if it was still going. <laughs> yeah, well, I, it's it's on hiatus at the moment, but again, you, you never know. It, it could come back. I mean, it was an important project for me because uh, to that point, I'd thought of fat activism as, well, really hard work. 
and the Chubsters was something that was really ridiculous, um, imaginative, really playful, um, silly, but also meaningful to people as well. Um, I have a uh, we had a symbol called the Screaming Sea, which I, I have tattooed on me, and um, yeah, and uh, uh, sadly. Well, a couple of Chubsters died um, oh, recently, and um, and their partners returned their their cards and and badges to me. So, I don't know. It's moments like that. Even though it was this really irreverent and silly um, uh, project, it also had these deeper resonances uh, uh, and, and kind of meaning to people as well. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Thank you. So, um, I guess there's one one other. No, there's two others that I wanted to look at in the fact activist vernacular. And as I said, there are lots that I would choose. But I guess um, one that really pissed me off when not what you'd written, but one that really pissed me off that I come a- across a lot in um, my work is this idea of protective layer theory. Oh God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Yeah. Um, so where people and just I'll probably not explain this as well as you. So. Um, I'll just really quickly say, um, for anyone listening, if you don't know what it is, um, it's essentially what you read about in fat is a feminist issue. So the idea that um, people have kind of put this layer of fat around themselves to protect their bodies, um, particularly following sexual assaults. Um, And it's the idea of like, oh, I had, so one, I'm just going to say this really quickly. (laughs) One person that I um, know of who, is a coach, um, suddenly announced one day that they'd realised they'd been living in a fat suit and um, that they were going to like lose the weight and finally live their full life. And obviously I was horrified. Um, but it seems to be quite a common idea that people are protecting themselves from something in some way. Um, it feels very spiritually bypassing and bullshit basically um, yeah, it is total bullshit and but it's a really popular view yeah and a popular view amongst people who absolutely should know better and and i think my i mean my understanding is that it came out of psychoanalysis and it also came out of these feminist um takes on psychoanalysis mm-hmm. hence it's in fat as a feminist issue which draws on those ideas and and that book was so popular so phenomenal that this has just become you know taken as 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 uh, as fact but it's not it is bullshit and I, I realised actually after I wrote that entry, what I forgot to put in, it's it, it kind of relies. It's really victim blaming, and it relies yeah. on an idea of sexuality as something that's about you know genitals rather than you know some uh, uh, you know a social view or a sense of identity or you know a, a different way of. Um, uh, it, it's very sort of genitally focused, mm. and um, and I just thought, yeah, what bloody out of date useless nonsense that I mean I don't know who it helps really um, Mm. that idea and I did find that entry really hard to write because it's one of those ideas that is so pernicious and that people really internalize but it is so I mean what's bullshit but it's so so fat phobic it's misogynist it's really like anti-sexuality yeah it has so many problems with it and I really wish people would stop using it and you're right it, it, it also draws on this idea of you know, your fatness is some kind of fat suit that you wear, or that there's a, you know, an authentic thin person inside you. Mm. I mean, it's, it's bloody nonsense, actually. Yeah, it really is. And um, I was actually really pleased to see it because sometimes I think it can feel quite isolating doing the kind of work where you're telling people that, you know, there's, there are layers of oppression involved and, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with fatness. And then you have other people spouting this kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and also I've recently seen, even with, um, 
on Instagram, I've seen a pile of books, which actually includes the Your Fat Activism book yeah. um, with Fat as a Feminist Issue kind of lumped in with it as though yeah. they're of a similar thought. And, you know, they're clearly not. So I think that's really important to distinguish as well. They're, they're, they're very different books and they come from, from different um, traditions, certainly. Um, yeah, I find the book, I find Fat as a Feminist Issue extremely problematic and I've mm. written in many places why that is. But one of the things that you said that, that sparks hope in me is that, um, you know, a sense of not being alone with it. And one of my greatest hopes, actually, for the vernacular is people will recognise uh, parts of their lives in, in there and, and won't feel isolated and will know that, that somebody else might be thinking about it and that there are, other, there are, there are others too. And there's a, one of the things that has influenced me in my life has certainly been a kind of practice of um, sort of a feminist practice of naming things, bringing things, you know, in, in, in giving things form instead of them being sort of abstract or, or unknowable. And once you name something, then you can talk about it and work it out, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so I hope the vernacular does that in some ways, too. Yeah, I'm sure it will for lots of people. I definitely felt that way when I was reading it. Well, that's good to hear. <laughs> um, so the the third one, I actually, I don't even want to talk about it because it makes me so mad. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, feel like it, I feel like it might be useful. I sound very angry today, by the way. I'm actually not. It's just, I picked these three out because I think that they're things that maybe people who are listening to this podcast, um, who've come at it from a queer angle, for example, who maybe don't know so much about that activism, um, it would be really great for those people just to hear kind of some of the things that they may be doing without realizing it. I think yes. a lot of, you know, the whole health thing, I'm not even going to go there because I think people can go away and educate themselves by listening to the many other podcasts that you've been on or by reading your books. Um, yes. But there was one uh, that was the climate crisis fat phobia entry. Oh yeah. Yeah. See what I mean oh. now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm just going to read it real quick if that's okay. Um, so it's middle-class activists have yet to get their act together around fat. They consider fat people a threat to the planet because of overconsumption and they don't pull George, I can never pronounce his surname. Mom- Is it Mombio? Mombio, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mombio. Okay. And um, when he publicizes ignorant and pitying articles about us, um, yeah, Charlotte, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, oh dear. Oh, what to say? I don't know. I, I think that's a lot to do with class. I mean, I've been talking to some of my friends about climate activism and fatness and how it's conceptualised. And I think there is a great fear, an, an unexamined fear. And possibly this is because of the people that I see doing that kind of activism don't really have an intersectional take on things. Yeah. And so it's a particular kind of, you know, really middle class white guy. It is the George Monbiot's uh, mm. um, who don't really know what it's like to be othered. I mean, what's it? He went to Stowe or Eton or something. It's like, you know, this is a posh guy. Yeah. And I, I suppose it's not that I want the planet to end at all, uh, <laughs> but I do want uh, the planet to be a place where where everybody can be and it, and it not be, um, I guess, a set of arguments that, that that doing climate activism isn't just a set of arguments um, marginalising people further when, when they're all like a sort of a punching down, I suppose. I, I think that's what's going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. I'm a bit uh, sort of tongue tied about it because, uh, you know, clearly it's stuff that I need to think about a, a bit more. But this is my sort of, you know, very sort of superficial take on what climate activism looks like at the moment. And uh, I think they really need to get their heads together around fat and you can't be scared you can't be upholding one group of people and scapegoating another I mean we all 
have to share the planet together and to understand each other and and get along hopefully um but yeah i don't find that kind of you know fat people are the problem over you know consuming too much um yeah um i, I think it's really fat phobic actually yeah and it just ties into that whole idea of like fat equals greed or overconsumption and yeah, and, and death, not, actually, death, yeah. the end of humanity, you know, and, mm. uh, you know, the, the, there's another entry, which is about, you know, dead before their parents, which is another cliche that's come out of obesity epidemic uh, rhetoric, which is, you know, fat people herald doom. And, you know, as a punk, as somebody who comes from punk, I quite like that ethic that we do herald doom. Well, that's great. <laughs> but, you know, this other part of me, well, well no, I think it's uh, really, um, oh, not discriminatory it's stigmatizing it's you know it's horrible to be positioned in that way yeah yeah and I've actually found that because I've done some coaching in um sort of climate activism spaces and I've found that I've actually felt really judged um as a fat person and you know I I'm a small fat person so I guess I recognize that I have a wet like you know a lot more privilege than fatter people who might go into that space um but even in those spaces I felt very judged just for existing in the body that I do you know like I can't be that interested in helping the climate if I'm fat well Gem I'm really sorry to to hear that I mean it's 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 not okay and and what that makes me think of is you know I'm gagging for you know a super fat group of climate activists oh my god that would be amazing wouldn't that be wonderful wouldn't that be great (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so cool maybe we should talk about how that could be set up <laughs> oh yeah I'd love I mean that would be wonderful wouldn't it I mean I think yeah. the time is ripe for that kind of activism yeah absolutely uh, yeah because there's a whole new kind of area of activists who aren't thinking about that and so to bring that into um into the light more I guess would be a really cool thing to do yeah 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 oh cool thank you for talking about that I'm feeling less angry about it now <laughs> uh. <laughs> um so you mentioned at the beginning, I guess, yeah, I, I have so many questions. So I'm conscious of like reining it in and where are we going to go? Um, <laughs> so maybe, maybe while we're on the activism thing, you mentioned that after doing quite a lot of activism, there was a period where you were quite burnt out. And I just wondered what that burnout period was like for you and whether there was anything in particular that you did or that you found useful to kind of bring yourself out of it and then hopefully to um, navigate it or even avoid it going forward. Well, that's a lovely question. What a caring question. Nobody has ever asked me that before. Oh, it's so yeah, important. That's really, it is. You're right. Um, yeah, so, so I did my master's degree and then I published... Um, fat and proud and I published it with a feminist press called the women's press mm. uh, which no longer exists and I published it with them uh, because they were looking for a book about fat and also because um, I'd loved many of the books that they had published but it was a real um, it was a real trial actually publishing with them because I didn't realize it at the time I was quite naive but they were very um, sort of set in their ways and so there were things in the book that I wanted to publish. For example, I wanted to publish about a fat girl, which was really a powerful, uh, profound experience for me being involved in that project. Um, but they wouldn't allow me to mention it because uh, they saw that that that, um, that scene, I mean, this will really date it. They, they thought the zine, um, which it did, promoted uh, BDSM and uh, trans people and queer, which mm-hmm. they had political problems with. Um, and they also had problems with me. It was some of the language that I used, which was rather fruity. And uh, and they had problems with, what was the other stuff? 
oh, they didn't want me to talk about trans people either, which I had a whole section on trans people. So we had a giant fight and there was a point at which the book might not have been published. And if I was going through the same thing now, then I would go to a different publisher. But I was mm. 28 at the time and I thought, OK, either the book happens or it doesn't happen. Um, so I'm going to, you know, publish it and also talk about these problems, too, which I did. But this took a massive toll on me. It was really, really exhausting. And I just felt really sod this. I absolutely had enough. And around that time as well, I was starting to question a lot of the feminism that I was that I had been socialised with. So I was looking at other kinds of feminism, um, uh, more sort of sex positive feminism and feminism, you know, trans feminism as well. That was starting mm. to um, starting to read a lot more and find out a lot more about that. Um, but the thing that helped me, so it was a few years later, I guess it was about four or five years later, because at that point I thought, God, I just don't want to write about fat ever again. I'm just sick of this. But of course, it's one of those subjects that, you know, it's what's part of my life and mm. you know, lifelong engagement with this subject, I, I imagine. So about four or five years later, I saw a, a flyer for No Lose, which is this conference that takes place in the States sometime. And it was such a cute picture. I thought, I really have to go to that. And so uh, it was a picture of um, a femme t tomato lady high kicking, a fat femme tomato lady doing a high kick. That sounds fun. And, and I thought, <laughs> that's where I want to be. And um, yeah, the, I mean, I knew many of the people who had uh, been involved in setting up the, the conference and setting up that community. So it wasn't a bunch of strangers particularly. Um, but it was just, yeah. So that was the thing that, that changed really and gave me, other ideas about what activism could be and what um, fat feminism could be as well. It didn't have to be this rather kind of turfy, anti-queer, you know, um, yeah, it didn't have to be like that. It could be something else. So so that's what, what kept me going. And, and I guess in the meantime, you know, I was also doing other projects. Um, I was learning how to make websites and I was, um, yeah, getting work really because I had, I had struggled to get work up until that point. And so, you know, my life, materially, my life was changing. Mm -hmm. um, so those things helped too. But I think it was the tomato lady, actually, that was, um, who was the, the, the turning point and gave me, and gave me hope after a pretty gruelling and lonely time trying to get this book um, out into the world on the shelves. That's amazing. Thank God for the tomato lady. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you ever meet her? I didn't meet her. And in fact, but I think, actually, I think my friend Deborah might have have designed her I need to talk to her about oh, that yeah that's yeah. really cool and yeah. <laughs> um, so that actually brings me on to my next question which was um when you were publishing Fat and Proud you talked about um how the publishing house didn't want you to identify as queer they um kind of pushed that you were bi hmm. and I just wondered how that felt and kind of what queerness means to you because um it can mean quite different things to different people and it'll be really great just to hear a bit more about what what you mean when you use that term yeah oh well, well I mean no uh, no shade on any bisexual people uh, ever, yeah, yeah. ever 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 um uh, but it's not necessarily how I identify but people often put me in that role and um well I don't know it was diff it was difficult with the publisher um, demanding that I identify as bisexual because mm. well nobody has a right to demand how you yeah. how you identify that's that's your identity surely <laughs> so that was that was really difficult um and the queerness let me think what is that about uh, something I take for granted now but I guess it's it's I mean I also identify pretty strongly as a dyke and these are things these are words that have a kind of 
non-normative, anti-assimilation. They're quite anti-social terms sometimes, although they're queer, less so these days. Um, they're about identifying maybe with the margins rather than with the centre. Um, they have a punk ethic to them, which I really like. Um, and they're, they're inclusive terms as well. I think of Dyke as being pretty inclusive, um, but queer especially so. Queer can encompass anything really. And, and I really like um, what Noreen Giffney um, says about queer, which is it has this kind of, I don't know, unintelligib unintelligibility about it. It's mm. got this, it's, you can't quite pin it down. I know Judith Butler talks about that as well. Um, and, I, and I like that it can be it can be what you make it, it can, yeah, you can't really pin it down. I mean, sometimes people do try and pin it down to a haircut or a, you know, a, a style or something, but actually it's not. It's something much more nebulous and strange than that. And, and, and that's what I really like about it. And that's what I identify with because, I mean, Lord, I mean, you know, what am I? I don't know what I am, even at this ripe age. So queer seems to suit that quite well. Yeah, and I guess something that I tend well always include when I'm trying to define it to people because you're right it's such a difficult term to define and um, for me it feels that the political aspect is really important um, yes. so kind of having queer politics and again like that's what is that but I guess just um to to, to identify as queer but not be political or may, not maybe be intersectional in your view of things for me that feels like maybe there's a bit of a um, a contradiction there so that it feels like a really important part just to have yes. that political element as well yes I agree too I think it is intensely political to be queer and uh and and, and not just amongst I mean maybe it's to do also with with my my age and and the the, the people with whom I grew up because when I was a, a teenager and, and when I was in my I guess my early 20s you could be a lesbian or you could be gay there was nothing else <laughs> that was it and so queer you know has always struck me as being really political because it disrupts all that stuff really mm. amazingly um, and when I started this would also have been through Fat Girl as well when I started sort of finding out that there were other ways that I could be that I didn't have to be one or the other that didn't necessarily fit me that well um, then uh, yeah queer, queer was really useful and you know I do think that's a, a political place to be to be a person who is not quite definable is quite a, a dangerous uh, place to be as well because people do want to pin you down and you know put you in your box yeah yeah and that just makes you think of how queerness and fatness intersect um because there's well it's a huge question but I guess like what what has being fat and queer meant for you well, I mean, badly paraphrasing James Baldwin, they've been tremendous gifts in my life. I mean, I was very lucky uh, to know people uh, as a teenager. I, I worked in a charity shop as a Saturday girl, and my boss was a punk from the, the 70s, and her boyfriend um, had been in a, a band as well. And uh, and they really, really hated normal people. Hey, normal. <laughs> yeah, they really, really hated them. And um and so it was almost like being in a John Waters film working there. And uh, and really um yeah, so I grew up with this great sense, although my own family had a whole different take on it and really struggled to be normal, um, my friends and the people who I really considered, you know, my my kin really, um really, really hated normality. And um, yeah, and I guess 
yeah I mean that's been an enormous gift in my life really and I and I think about fat and queer having having come from that I mean luckily I also encountered feminism and and and, and punk around that time too which also sort of fed into my view of myself but I think fat and queer yeah they're both sort of non non-normative states and somebody I can't remember who has talked about fat has written about fat and done scholarship around fat being a queer state of being and I think yeah, fair dues. I think that's pretty um, pretty apt, actually. Whether people want to adopt that or not is something else, because I think many fat people do really fetishise and crave normality, mm. mainly because we've been denied it. Uh, you know, yeah. denied those you know uh, alleged prizes of of being normal. But for me, those prizes are, are illusions, and uh, and what we have are riches actually you know other ways of seeing things and understanding things I think is a great gift in life yeah and I think internally um so kind of taking away the external oppression and you know the the layers of shitness that come with being an other person um internally it can feel so liberating and empowering to be like well I don't actually have to adhere to any of these societal expectations because um one there's like a whole other group of people who I can um, meet up with and make cool things with and yeah there's just there are no limits on what's possible anymore um yes you know. that, yes that's very important to me this idea that I mean you, you know my politics do veer towards anarchism and, and, and I'm very interested in you know what happens if if what autonomy looks like actually what mm. what agency looks like what happens if we if we get to to make our own our own worlds and not that this could ever or should ever involve crapping on anybody else but um but yeah what does it look like to make your own life to to be a non-conformist the people who have been most powerful in my life have been extremely non-conformist and you know I value that enormously and I think fat and queer is part of that tradition for me I know it isn't for everybody and you know I have no beef with that but for me my path is very much around non-conformity about making your own world making a world in which you can exist and thrive that's important to me yeah and something that I really love about your work is that kind of um I guess the the willingness to play with what is and what isn't acceptable and you've mentioned like um experimenting with the grotesque through dance and just um doing things I guess that if you were a normal and were conventional in your thinking about what was and wasn't possible for a fat queer person and mm. um, you probably would never have tried so um things it's like true. your performance yes it's true yeah sorry I'll, I'm interrupting you yeah no 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 not at all I was just gonna say um yeah it'd be really cool to hear more about your performance and I know that you've um been through sort of different dance types that you've like you mentioned flamenco a while back um and also hip-hop so what has that exploration been like as a fat queer person? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, uh, dance has been something that's been part of my life since I was really young. But because I was fat, I don't know about queer so much, but because I was fat, I never thought there'd be a place for me in in dance. But <clears throat> it turns out that there is. And um, I was extremely uh, fortunate to work with um, Alexandrina Hemsley and Jimena Johnson-Small of, uh, a few years ago as part of a project called Swagger, where um, we created a show together and performed that. And unfortunately, um, you know, dance training is not really available to people like me. I'm too old, I'm too stiff, I don't look like everybody else. 
and you know there are kind of there's sort of gatekeeping around who's allowed in and, and who isn't mm -hmm. but Jamila and Alex gave uh, me and my my performance and uh, partner uh, Kay uh, gave us an enormous uh, brilliant schooling in in dance in contemporary dance and that opened up so many um, doors and opportunities for me in terms of me thinking about what might be possible for myself this had never been available to me to before this kind of access and so we we met people who were just delighted to have us uh, and, and um, yeah and we started going to different kinds of dance spaces and and feeling much more involved in that world and that kind of crossed over much more into live art as well so um Oh, what can I say about it? Yeah, I mean, I'm just interested in, in, in dance forms that are, I guess, about the street, that are about protest. Um, yeah, I find um, uh, Crump especially beautiful. And uh, yeah, I also like flamenco, and there are elements of that in the dance uh, that Kay and I do. And we've been working on a very, very long-term project for the past few years, where we go to the studio um, pretty regularly, usually once a month for a few hours, and um, and we we just make space to well to move and to consider how we. Oh, this is going to sound so pretentious. Please forgive me, but to consider how we're moving as fat queers, yeah, and what it is to be a again pretension alert. What it is <laughs> to be a a fat queer moving in space. I can't believe I've said that, but there. <laughs> I don't think it sounds that pretentious. Okay, well, I <laughs> could <do>. be worse. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, there's, there is a, uh, there will be documentation of that coming out. Oh, amazing! In the next couple of years, yeah, um, I'm writing a long piece about it. Um, and yeah, and I think there's really, there's, it's a resource that that will help other people, not just fat queer-bodied people, but people, um, yeah, anybody who has has a body really, to think about yeah to, to use movement I guess to heal in a lot of ways a lot mm. of the movement we've been doing has been about healing from fat phobia um yeah and sort of finding ourselves finding our bodies again that sounds so to put it into words but but that's I guess this is how the yeah how the dance has developed from a me dancing in clubs um throughout my life uh and being a go-go girl uh and also um yeah through the contemporary dance experience and now through this much more experimental kind of dance research process that I've been embroiled in for the past couple of years. Yeah and I guess one of the um, things that I have probably when I discovered what diet culture actually was mm. <laughs> and started to move away from it um, one of the things that I have still actually have a hangover about is movement just moving my body and particularly mm. around moving my body in public yes. and I know that that's a thing that um, lots of fat people and you know and non-fat people but mm. particularly fat people who've like been shamed in PE or mm -hmm. um, you know have been told that they can't do a particular sport because they're too fat mm. there's there's a lot of um well, it's just a really problematic area for people, isn't it, quite often? Yes, it is. You know, one of the things we do in these sessions is we, we do what we call experiments and we'll do things that we've been scared to do. And these are, I mean, they're heartbreaking, really, but they're things like, what's it like to jump? Hmm. How does it feel? You know, we'll do a kind of, you know, uh, an experiment in jumping or what's it like? What did we do the other week? we did some kind of like falling on each other. What's it like to do that? You know, just these very kind of, or what's it like to get really out of puff? Mm -hmm. um, what, these things that I have felt a lot of stigma around and shame around too. So we'll do some experiments around that. 
and I've got to say it's enormously healing and fun um, to be able to do it in a real, I mean, in the studio we, that we go to, it's extremely private. Um, yeah, we just take a few hours to, to explore this stuff and, and talk about it afterwards. But again, it, you know, it is heartbreaking to hear of your experience. It shouldn't be like that. You know, movement is, is God, kill me, but it's so natural. It's a natural yeah. thing to do and a fun and lovely uh, thing to do. And it's a shame and also a shame that I identify with enormously, a shame that we're so disconnected from that. Mm -hmm. and that is the result of fat phobia it truly is yeah absolutely and also the idea of kind of um when you're trying to lose weight that you're exercising and it's a punishment you know you need to do more of it because you're a bad fat person yes yeah and so thinking about that then how how has dance and getting more in touch I guess with moving your body how has that changed your relationship to your body if it has which I'm imagining it has well, yeah, I'm a better groover these days. I've got some moves I can awesome. really show you. Um, yeah, how has it changed? I mean, I haven't got any fatter. I haven't got any thinner. I've stayed the same. I haven't got musclier. I haven't got more fit. I haven't become any of those things that diet culture says that, you know, dance uh, will bring you. Yeah. I can't remember steps. I can't remember sequences. I'm not a, quote, good dancer, um, but I am a good dancer. I know that one of the things that has changed actually is that I know I'm absolutely compelling to look at when I dance. I know that I turn heads and I, when, and when I see other fat people dancing and anyone dancing really, but especially fat people, then, you know, they're the stars for me. And I have a sense, I have a sense of that. I guess that's the, the main thing that dance has given me a sense that I look really good when I move and uh, I'm absolutely compelling to look at and whatever I do, in any kind of dance circumstances will be good enough and will be, yeah, will be great, actually. I feel confident. Maybe that's what I'm talking about. I feel really confident about movement. Yeah, and are there any other forms of moving your body or exercise that you found that with? Sorry, you, you, you zoned out a little bit. Oh, then. sorry. Forms of what forms um, of movement? Yeah, are there any other forms of exercise or movement that you've found that with? Or Because I feel like yeah. dance is a really special way of yeah. um, moving your body. And I just wondered if there were any others that you found. Yes, there are. So um, I've always swum. So I was a, a, a child synchronised swimmer. Amazing. Uh, my, yeah, I got my grade two badge, which means that I can do some extreme work. Well, I could do some very basic moves and I can still just about do them. So swimming has always been important to me. I love going to Lido's. Um, I go to Charlton Lido in London, which is a heated, a giant heated outdoor. When I swim there throughout the winter, it's absolutely gorgeous. I was just there the other day and uh, I don't swim fast. Um, I do doggy paddle quite a lot. I like to chat and swim at the same time with whoever's swimming with me. Um, you know, I don't do it for fitness, but I absolutely love being in the water and I love playing in the water and playing silly games and doing handstands and, and stuff like that. So that's important to me. And also, um, yeah, I kind of enjoy being, this is going to sound like, oh dear, I was going to sound really, really, um, really middle-aged but I love being in nature and I love looking at animals and birds and insects and leaves and trees um and again I'm quite fearful when I'm in nature so I've got these two sort of walking poles that I use to sort of help prod me along I don't walk fast I don't walk very far uh, I hope there's a nice cafe at the end of it when I have <laughs> a cup of tea and a scone um so yeah it's not it's not um well, it is adventurous, but it's because you don't really see many fat people out and about in nature. Um, and um, maybe we don't feel that we're that entitled to it. 
but um yeah it's not adventurous you know i'm not climbing mountains or doing anything major or going on you know 10 mile walks or anything like that but i do like yeah i like um yeah i like a bit of an outing i'm a member of the essex wildlife trust and i enjoy going to their um their nature reserves and you know maybe walking a circuit around there or going and sitting in a hide and looking at birds now I'm really revealing myself she thinks she's so punk Jen but really <laughs> she actually likes bird watching I think the two can go hand in hand though oh, and well, I think... I hope so. <laughs> yeah you can make it cool <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. um, but yeah that that idea of actually just moving for pleasure I think is something that feels so radical because you know swimming is also a really contentious subject for people who um have difficult relationships with their bodies for whatever yes. reason yes. um and so it feels actually really radical to be doing two of the things that a lot of people would tell you that you can't do dancing yeah. and swimming yes yeah well you know these things have been part of my life for a long time and swimming was one of the things that I've always loved to do since I was a kid and I've never really stopped swimming I'm not you know I don't go every week you know to a particular schedule I just go when I feel like it or mm. when you know when I can get to the pool or when there's time so it's yeah I just really 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 like it I love being in the water it's great when the sun shines and I like the patterns that the um that the, the, the sun makes on on, on the water yeah. if I go on holiday I like to go snorkeling and look at creatures underwater you know I just feel pretty at home um yeah blobbing about in, in in the water or in the sea or something it sounds really yeah. cool yeah, one of my great. things for this year is to try and organize a fat pool party in london oh Jen, well count me in i'm totally up for that okay yeah, amazing yeah. yeah i just got to find a pool but I'm, i wrote down charlton once you said oh, that charlton thinking that i great. could yeah. get in touch with them maybe yeah charlton is great and well maybe we can talk um later on but there are other pools that you can probably um uh hire i went to a really wonderful uh trans uh swimming session in uh Lewisham a couple okay. of years ago yeah so you might want to talk to some trans people about there have been some like trans splash events and you know trans friendly swims because Amazing. trans people also experience similar shaming and body uh, problems when 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 you want to go swimming so uh yeah yeah so, I just yeah. have this dream of like a fat queer space where everyone just lounges around and chats and swims yeah it'd be lovely wouldn't it it nice. really would yeah <laughs> cool um so there's one thing that I really wanted to mention, actually, to people if they're not aware of it, but I should just check with you that you're still doing it. I know that you said for your 50th that you um, opened your front room as an archive where people could come and book time to come and spend time with you. Is that still something you're doing? Yes, it's an ongoing project. So as I sit here, what I'm looking up at are one, two, three, four enormous shelves full of stuff that I've made over the past 30 years or so, uh, and including, you know, diaries and notebooks and videos and zines and talks and scholarship. And there's a whole library of fat stuff. And then there's a whole DIY shelf with queer zines and zines and films and dance and scrapbooks and, and all sorts. And, and then there's a shelf of books that I've published or have been published in or have been mentioned in. And so there's a, a load of stuff that I think of as my life's work. And after I die, this stuff will be lodged at the Bishopsgate Institute. So mm -hmm. it will be available to, you know, people of the future, I hope, uh, as long as, you know, Donald Trump doesn't nuke us all in the next uh, couple of weeks. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the, in, the, the intention of the project is I'm building a catalogue at the moment. And when that catalogue is um, as complete as it can be, I mean, it will be growing all the time. Yeah. I'm going to make that pub, uh, public and people can book in time uh, to come and visit me and to talk and look at stuff um, that I've made and to, you know, just have a conversation um, either, 
by themselves and singly or groups. Um, yeah, so that, that's what's happening with that. It's called 33 Archive is, is the project. Great. And I'll link to that in the show notes um, or just make mention of it so people can um, Thank you. Keep yeah, in touch yeah. with that because it sounds yeah. like such a cool thing to do. Thank you. Um, and so with that in mind, then, what what's next? Like you mentioned this ongoing long term dance project that you're documenting. Um, and what else are you working on? Yeah, well, I'm working on a couple of things. Um, so when I turned 50, one of the things I did was think, what do I really, really want to do? What's important to me, you know, um, to, to sort of really focus on things? Because up until now, um, my habit has just been to, you know, do what comes along. But I thought, oh, maybe now I'm a proper grown up, I should plan a little bit more and, uh, you know, invest a bit more in the projects. So, yeah, a couple of things. So um, I'm part of this uh, women working class um group that's going to be going on for the next three months at the uh, live art development agency which I'm excited about because I've never really worked in a group of people um, around um, making stuff before uh, and I'm working on a project um, about power and the misuse of power and how people respond to the misuse of power as well so that's what mm -hmm. I'll be doing there and that will be possibly a book at some time at some point um, but more immediate projects, I'm making another ebook um, with my collected um, zines in them because these things are all out of print and extremely ephemeral. And I think it's time to to make a collection of them. Um, I think people would really enjoy that. And yeah, I've got projects around um, sort of therapy and fats. And yeah, the dance stuff is happening too. And in terms of performance, um, Kay and I have been working on um a piece called but is it healthy mm. where we have a dance um that we're dancing at sites of extreme fat phobia in an attempt to kind of transform them in some way or transform ourselves i don't know and that will be us alone dancing but also we might invite people to come in and learn that dance and do that dance you know collectively um in those those spaces too so that sounds the main really Great. And I, I'm going to ask you a question about that in a second, actually. But I just mm -hmm. wanted to mention um, that people who are listening to this, you've got a couple of appearances coming up. Um, so there's one on the 29th of January where you're talking at the Live Art Development Agency about the fat activist vernacular. Yes. Um, and I think you said that tickets are available from thisislivart.co.uk. Yes. And, uh, and it's a, a free event as well. You don't have oh, OK. To pay for it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other ones on the 5th of February, um, which is you talking about queer fat activism at Goldsmith uni in south london that's right that's right and i don't have details for that at the moment but i will be posting them on my twitter feed which is at the beef um yeah over the coming weeks okay great and i'll just repeat that because i think um, it cut out a bit there so it's the beefer t-h-e-b-e-f-e-r mm -hmm. um yeah and so going back to the um dancing in fat phobic spaces mm. i know that you um, I hope I'm right in saying that this is the same dance that you did at the Welcome Trust. Is that yes, right? yes, that's right. So, um, yeah, this was, God, it's ages ago now in 2016. So um, they put on a really big event, a wonderful event about language and uh, invited me to talk about my, my book at that event. And I sneakily said, would it be OK to do a dance as well? And they said, yeah, fine. Because um, they had, yeah, oh, bless them, bless them. And, um, and so I danced with Kay um, in the, what they had. They've, re, they've redone it now, um, but they had an exhibit called Obesity, which was a really dreadful exhibit and, uh, and uh, always bothered me. 
and we did a dance in that space around a sculpture that I find particularly fat phobic. Mm. And um, yeah, it was really intense, a really, really intense experience. But we, we did that and I made a zine to go with it. And I also made some beats um, for us to dance to, which were based on um, a, a fat feminist panel that had taken place in the early 80s. Um, yeah, so um, yeah, we did that. It was really phenomenal. Um, and then um, sometime later, I think, yeah, maybe last year, one of the people that works at The Welcome told me that, um, yeah, they, that that piece of work had made them really reconsider um, the exhibit and that they were getting rid of the sculpture. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I think they have a much different, uh, a much more inclusive take on bodily difference now in, in their, their redisplay, which I haven't been to yet. I need to go to it. So they were really receptive to the work we did, but it was very intense and, and difficult and risky as well. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that and can't quite believe it happened, but but it did happen. And, and we're hoping to do similar interventions with that dance in other places. And at the moment, we're drawing up a list of places and working out the logistics of it. Great. And will people be able to come along to those places um, to watch you or will it be kind of whoever's there at the time? You know what? I haven't really thought about that yet. Okay. <laughs> Maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, there'll be documentation, certainly. And yeah, I would like to encourage people to come and dance with us and to learn the dance. because It's pretty simple. Um, uh, but yeah, really, we're just um, we're working it out right now. Great. Yeah, that sounds like a really exciting project. Thank you. So, um. I think I've mentioned this before at the beginning. I could ask you questions all day. I, no, I absolutely love chatting to you about these things, um, but I'm conscious of time. So um, I'd just like to remind everyone that if they'd like to read the Fat Activist vernacular, which they absolutely should, um, they should go to your website, charlottecooper.net, or this is unbound.co.uk, where they can, um, part of the proceeds goes to um, live art in the UK um, and any other ebook place. Um, such as the one that we won't name, um, to download the book or the ebook. Um, it's amazing. There are, I think, 265 pages of um, different definitions around fatness. And it's just such a great conversation starter. I think for anyone who hasn't uh, come across fat activism before, it's actually a really good place to start because it just starts you thinking about the terms that are used in the language. And then obviously you can go away and read other books, maybe like fat activism um, to get like a slightly deeper understanding. Um, but yeah, I'd really recommend checking that out and going along to the events that Charlotte's going to be at if you can. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, thank you. And one last thing I wanted to ask you was whether um, you had anything that you were really enjoying at the moment that you'd like to recommend to everyone. Yeah, so I've got a couple of things. One is, um, well, I've been listening to a lot of Alice Coltrane and uh, her journey in Satchinananda, I can't, Satchinananda, I can barely pronounce it. It's just so beautiful and soothing and meditative and mystical and strange. Um, I was lucky to see a performance of it uh, last year. So Alice Coltrane, she works on the harp. She's a, a jazz harpist. Wow. Can you believe? Yeah, far out. And uh, so I've been greatly enjoying that. But in terms of fat, I just want to really give a giant hand clap to um, the Fat Cabaret lot in Brighton. Mm. I think the work that they're doing is really phenomenal. It's super grassroots. It's really raucous and wild and eye-popping. You know, whenever you see a show that they put on, you, you know, it's unforgettable. It's kind of yeah. burned on, on your retinas. Uh, so Matilda Gregory and Rosie Blackhorse Sutton 
good work folks good work <laughs> i'm so happy to know them really happy to be you know work, working with them um in, in a week or so and just yeah really big up to them they're absolutely wonderful people and the work they're doing is phenomenal yeah really they are i've been to um trans fats and also fatty fat cabaret which yes. is yes yeah, incredible. <laughs> I would second that recommendation. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much, Charlotte. And um, yes, everything that we've discussed will be in the show notes so people can check it out there. And obviously come and find you on Twitter. I know you've said that you're not a prolific poster, but um, it's worth going and giving you a follow there. Well, that's where I post stuff that I'm doing. So so yeah, that, that's where you'll find that's um, about me. But you know, you can drop me an email on my website and I'll answer that. I'm quite old school in that way. Great. Thank you so much. An absolute pleasure, Gem. Thank you. <laughs> well, that was the first episode of Queers & Co. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. And isn't Charlotte amazing? If you'd like to find out more about anything we talked about, just head to the show notes on my website, gemkennedy.com slash podcast. You can also find the full transcript there. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please take a minute to rate and review it in iTunes. It really helps with reaching more people, especially because it's so new. And also maybe tell a friend that you found a wonderful new podcast that they should definitely listen to. I'll be back next week with another amazing guest breaking the gender stereotypes in dance. See you then. Bye.